0: take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are some on the back table. There's a couple left back there. Feel free to get up and travel and Sheila's going to go and wave them around in the air and you can track her down. Um, thank you, Sheila, uh, if you do need one. Alright, so we're in Romans chapter 6 this morning. Um, last week we were, let me get set up here. Last week we were uh, we, we began to lay the foundations for this discussion that we're going to have about the ordinances. Um, last week we talked about the ordinances. There's two things that the church practices regularly. The church practices baptism and the Lord's Supper regularly, um, as a decree to carry out the decrees and the commands that God has has given to us. And these are these are very public things; these are public proclamations of what God has done for us in Jesus. And so, we want to act on those together as a body to encourage one another, to build one another up, to carry out some of those one another's um, that we talked about in Scripture last week. And remember, we talked about three things very specifically last week. When it comes to the ordinances, that they're rooted in the commands to remember, they're rooted in the commands to uh, to proclaim, and they're rooted in the commands to anticipate what God has done and is going to do for us. We look forward to a resurrection where we will we will be together with God in and glory. And we will live together with Him forever in perfect communion with one another and with Him. Um, So, we are called to then anticipate. So, we want to talk about each of the elements then, each of the ordinances given, um, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we're going to tackle baptism this morning in particular. Remember, we want to, in light of all of these things, so as we're discussing the ordinance in particular... We want to keep the mission of the church in front of us too. This is a rubric, this is a filter that we want to be running everything through. Jesus in his last uh, days right before he ascended into heaven gave to his disciples a very clear mission. He gave to his disciples a very clear mission to go and make disciples of all nations. He said to Baptize them, we're going to get to baptism this morning. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this Trinitarian act, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then he said to teach them and teach them all that I have commanded you, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Um, And then he said, I am with you, even to the end of the age to to round that out. And then he ascended into heaven. Those are the last few verses in Matthew's Gospel. Um, so, we want to keep in front of us the mission of the church. And the way that we state that here at Buffalo City Church is simply this We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. I think Matthew 20, we're summing that up and we're, we're keeping that in front of us as we look at that. Um, so, we want to carry out that mission. Um, not because we see it as just a duty or a laundry list, but because we see the gospel impact, but because we have been impacted greatly by the good news of the gospel. And so we fight daily to see God at work in uh, in the transformative process in our life. And we fight to see that happening in everyday stuff, not just big experiences, not just Not just where where we see just incredible things happening in the world, but everyday, everyday things. We we desire to see, we desire to see uh, God working in the monotonous stuff of life. And we point each other to the work of Jesus in our lives and into the lives of others and encourage them to proclaim that truth, even as we talked about last week, and to anticipate, then, the promises of God. So that's kind of some of the stuff that we talked about last week. We we're, like, laying the groundwork as we move to some of these more practical discussions. And so that moves us, into this morning as we fight together God and His Word has given us a tangible expression of what it means, what it means to, uh, to publicly proclaim the transformation that has occurred in, in our own hearts and in our own minds. Um, Paul says very clearly that our mind is being renewed, um, and so that's part of this process. And a particular command, uh, this particular command in general, we're talking about baptism specifically, is a painted portrait for us um, of that transformative work of the portrait that is public proclamation and is intended to be an act of obedience that leads to community celebration. This is not just a personal act. This is an act that occurs within community. We were talking about community earlier. Anton, thank you for sharing this morning about community and how we together live together. This is a one-time thing for an individual, but it's an ongoing proclamation by community of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so, um, as we consider that, as we spur one another on to greater obedience and faith, um, we're just going to spend time thinking about the practical outworking of this in baptism. Um, let me offer a, a brief disclaimer. I've done this a couple of times, and I want to keep this in front of us. This is a place where we get to have an open discussion, so I know that there are many of us here who come from different backgrounds when it comes to baptism, and that's okay. We want to have an open conversation about what baptism. What I'm gonna provide for you this morning is, is Buffalo City Church's official position on baptism, but that does not mean that if you hold to a different view, you're unwelcome here. That means that we want to have a conversation about it. We want to talk about it, we wanna see what the biblical data says, and we wanna talk through what it looks like. Absolutely by all means, I'm available, Mark is available, any one of our elders is available. So well, I'm gonna show the video and in in the sermon. Yeah, got it. Thank you. Um, and so where we stand then is is uh, I want to uh, I want to make sure that you all are aware. What I don't want is you to go from here and think to yourself, man, they think something very different than me, and so we can't be a part of this. No. What I'm saying is we need to have a conversation. Let's open this up to conversation and talk about it. Um, yeah. There's no there's no coercion. There's no expectation here. I'm going to provide what I believe is the biblical portrait out of this. Out of, this, uh, out of this passage this morning, and we're going to talk about it together um, in community as well. So that's a disclaimer. So uh, let's read this text this morning. We're going to go to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 11 verses here. We're going to read the first 11 verses in Romans chapter 6. I'll read these for us, and we'll pray. I'll give you a big idea, and then we'll, we'll dive in. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him, for the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but to life that He lived. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. But alive to God in Christ Jesus. let's pray. Lord God we thank you this morning that we can come to your word we can see what it says we can open up this this uh, this can of worms and digest it and talk about it. That sounded really gross um, but Lord I just pray that we would look at this text this morning and, and see what you have to um, what you have to say to us this morning. Lord God, I thank you for this community. I thank thank you for the way that you've grown us together and continue to grow us together. Lord, I pray that that your hand would be upon this this morning, um, that we would learn to love one another, we would learn to serve one another, we would learn to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens. God, not as a result of of duty or or seeing that as a grueling obligation, God, but out of the understanding of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ and anticipation of what you intend to do for us. So God, thank you. We praise you. We're here to exalt the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. Okay. So as we look at this text this morning, I just want to give you our big idea, and then we're going to we're gonna watch a brief video. Okay. So the big idea this morning coming out of this text directly in Romans 6 is simply this. Baptism is the public proclamation by the believer of the transfer from death to life that has taken place through the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, baptism is the public proclamation by the believer of the transfer from death to life that has taken place through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning, kind of what we want to do is we want to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about that death. We're going to talk about the life. What, What is that death and what does that mean? What is Paul portraying for us in that? And then the life, what is the life that Paul is, is talking about here in Romans 6? And then we want to talk about, finally, that, that practical portrait of what baptism is for us in, in communicating what those things are. So I'm going to have you uh, turn your attention to the screen since you've got a video, and we'll talk about it for a second after that.
1: Jesus commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations. He told them to baptize new believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus' way of establishing these disciples in their new identity. He knew that we would live differently if we realized who we are because of God's work in Jesus Christ. God did the same thing with Abram. Do you remember how God changed Abram's name to Abraham? which means father of many nations. He gave him this name, not after he had Isaac, but before. This is how God works. God declares something to be so, and it is. This is what is going on in baptism. We are baptized in the name of the Father because we are the family of God. We are deeply loved by the Father who sent his son to die for us so that we might become his children. And we're called to love others so that they might come to know the love of the Father as well. We're also baptized in the name of the Son. Because we are servants of the King. Sent to serve the least of these as He served us. As a result, those we serve as the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. Experience the kingdom of God breaking in through everyday servants. Showing them what the kingdom of God looks like. And we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit because we, just like Jesus was, are God's spirit empowered missionaries sent to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world so that others might come to know Jesus and in turn would also become disciples who make disciples of Jesus. This is how it works. Whatever God does to us, he also intends to do through us. So you see that important element.
0: We've talked about that a lot. We've talked about that several times. What God has done to us, He now intends to do through us. And that's kind of the big takeaway, even from that video, is to understand that God, even as He's worked in us and, and as we remember and as we anticipate, we also proclaim what God has done and what we anticipate that God will do for us in the future. So, so I hope that you caught that in the video. Baptism, then, is the proclamation of our participation in... The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you we are like, what does that look like? That, that sounds like very physical. Like we believe in a historical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, that sounds very like that sounds very violent, and something that I maybe don't want to participate in. But but I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, you have participated spiritually in that, and and we want to then work that out for ourselves together in community. Um, as, we, as we move forward. So, so he's giving us this, this way to proclaim this publicly. So I said we're going to talk about those three things this morning. i us dive into each of those. The first thing is death, right? Jesus, uh, Jesus gives us this, 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 this uh, portrait of death, but then Paul writes about this to us in Romans 6, and he wants to teach us some very important things about what death is. And if you go back up the page a little bit to Romans chapter 5, just to set this up for us. as you go back up the page in Romans 5 a little bit, Paul um, is talking about Adam. Um, He he wanted the Romans, as he's writing to them, to see that death entered the world through Adam, right? this sin that Adam committed in the garden was where death entered into the world. Um, Death came as a result of the curse because of Adam's rebellion. But then Paul says very clearly, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus is the new Adam. What God or what, what Adam could not fulfill, the intention that God uh, intended for Adam, although was not fulfilled in him, is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That perfect obedience that was required for righteousness is now found in Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. Um, and and now we we can participate together in that. If you look at verse nineteen in particular in chapter five, Paul writes this: For as through the as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, as Jesus, the many were be made righteous. Um, sin through Adam's disobedience, righteousness through the obedience of Jesus, and then. Paul writes further then in in verse 20 and 21 that that God gave the law to point out sinfulness. God gave the law to point out sinfulness, the disobedience of those who are in Adam. And that's everyone. He's pointing out the the disobedience for everyone. But again, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Um, We see in verse 21, Paul writes this in chapter 5. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness uh, through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who have trusted Jesus and not their own righteousness, not the own righteousness that they've sought to cultivate in their own hearts, they, um, they will experience grace. Even so, grace would reign through righteousness. Again, not because of the righteous, our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so as we think then about death, We're thinking about Jesus' death. That's the first place that we should go. We should think about Jesus' death. What was it effective to do? It was effective to pay for our sin. It was effective to pay for our sin. So that no longer are we in sin, no longer are we mastered by sin. Although we still live in this world where sin is is part of this this mortal body, we live in a state where we do still sin, sin is no longer master over us. We are free from sin. We are no longer mastered by sin. It has no mastery over us. And in Jesus, grace abounds. So first of all, we think about Jesus' death as we think about the death that that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 6. But then we also think about our death. We think about our death and what does that mean for us? What is Paul saying to us in particular about that? Look at, look at, first of all, look at verse 11 of chapter 6. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying we died to sin. We died to sin. No longer has sin mastered over us. Grace abounds. Although grace abounds, we don't go on sinning because we are no longer mastered by sin. We have died to sin. Um, And then, secondly, we we die to self, right? We die to self. Just a few chapters later in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. A presentation of ourselves cannot come unless we die to ourselves. If we're putting ourselves first, if we're putting ourselves in primary position in our world, in our life, this is not going to be a reality for us. We are not going to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Uh, When we trust Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, we also die. We die to sin and we die to self. This is not a physical death, but a spiritual death that is tied up that we move from a pursuit of our own glory, a pursuit of our own interests over the interests of others and move them into a, a direct understanding and come directly under what God's will is for us specifically. This is what we are freed to do. We are freed from sin. We are freed from self. self, And we are now free to fulfill what God's will is for us in our lives. This is something we've talked about. God's will for us is to do this. We ask this question all the time. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? God's will is clearly outlined in his word. It is to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. You're just like, well, that doesn't help me practically. It absolutely helps us practically. Every single day. What does that look like? It means dying to sin. It means dying to self. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Finding our satisfaction in the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the way that we bring Him glory. When we say, no longer am I going to pursue material, no longer am I going to pursue relationships, no longer am I going to pursue the things that this world has to offer more than Jesus Christ. Those things are subservient. Those things live in a... In, uh, in a direct correlation with who He is and what He's intended for my life, I'm going to seek to bring God glory in every single thing that I do. That is where we fulfill God's will for our lives. He is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with Him first and foremost. This is the death to sin. When we find our satisfaction in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that we are now freed from sin because we've died to it. We're free from ourselves because we've died to ourselves. Okay, so there's this death element that's contained here within Romans chapter 6, but then there's this life element as well, which is it's much more positive and uplifting. So let's talk about that. Um, this life element, this is a participation in the resurrection of Jesus, a participation in the resurrection of Jesus. And this is, this is not only spiritual, right, but this is physical as well. This, the promise of a physical resurrection is a real one for us if we are in Christ Jesus. It's promised to us. Look at verse 9 in chapter 6. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him, right? So Jesus was raised from the dead, and now death is no longer master over him. But also, if you just go up one verse to verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We believe that we shall also live with Him. A spiritual renewal that is actively becoming more like Jesus and carrying out His purposes here on earth. Would, that's what life is. This is spiritual renewal uh, that is actively becoming more like Jesus and carrying out His purposes here on earth. Do you see then the anticipation? Do you see then the things to come that flow out of this? In anticipation that although internally, right, we've been raised to walk in the newness of life, right? As Paul writes in, in verse 4. Um, raised to walk in the newness of life. But we also have an anticipation that the our physical reality will match, will match that spiritual reality for us. The new man resides within us. We now are in Christ. Um, We are a new creation in the way that we spoke about last week. We are a new creation. um, And one day, on the last day, we will be raised and our physical reality will match our spiritual reality. That's what we anticipate. That's what we anticipate. This anticipation that we will experience an eternity, a physical eternity, spent in the presence of God. Okay. Okay. So we see the, the death, and we, then we see the life that Paul is talking about to the Romans here in chapter 6. And so now we want to move to the more practical understanding. We want to talk about the practical portrait of, of, of this and the public proclamation of what this looks like in our, in our lives. So the the one place that, that, that Scripture goes, especially as we look at Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus commands His disciples to make disciples, and then He commands them to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the practical portrait then is, for us in community, is baptism. It's baptism. So we affirm that a few specifics about I want to get practical. I want to get nitty gritty here. I guess um, it's still a little bit of it, but we're talking about a physical act then that we participate together as as believers. So I want to just give you four things this morning. I want to consider these things and then tie them into what we've talked about so far. Tie them in with the death and the life elements. Tie them in with the the remembrance, the proclamation, the anticipation that we talked about last week. So, so, number one of four, we're, we're going we're to talk about each of these things. Number one of four, baptism is for believers. Those who have professed faith in Jesus, um, professed faith in Jesus, and said that he is the only way to the Father. That's who baptism is for. Baptism is for believers. Why? Why would I say that? Um, because of what Paul outlines for us here in Romans chapter 6, because it is this picture. This picture of the participation that we have in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about each of those elements and how they correspond. But when Paul writes um, in verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so so that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, so we might too walk in newness of life. And so Paul is saying that once your your spiritual reality has changed, there is a physical act to proclaim that that has happened. And that is baptism. That is why we say it is for believers. Um, Baptism is a way that the follower of Jesus can demonstrate that he or she is in Christ and desires to do all that he commands. Okay, so that's number one. Baptism is for believers. Number two, um, and this, is, this one's a, this is a little bit more practical here. Baptism is by immersion. Why, why do we say that? Why do we say that? Because of the death and the burial and the resurrection language, Right? Because of that language, so again, that's, that's our grounds for talking about baptism in general. So, so we have uh, this, this portrait, right? We have this picture of going down into the water, death, going under the water, burial, and then coming up out of the water, which is resurrection. And also, um, as we consider this too, um, there's just some keys in the language that, that tell us that that we that, that that's what this is about. Baptism is actually just a word that means to immerse. Again, like actually, is to mean or to put down into water. Um, and so, when Paul writes this, he's considering the fact he's saying very specifically, you, know, "You you not know, know that you have been baptized and into his death?" Um, and saying like, "Hey, we have been buried with him in baptism." This is a public proclamation and a portrait of what God has done for us in our lives. Okay, so we have baptism that is for believers. Baptism is by immersion. Third, baptism is not. Baptism is not required for salvation. Baptism is not required for salvation. Why would I say this? Well, okay, so there's 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 a couple of reasons. And first of all, um, this. In Luke uh, chapter 23, Paul or uh, Luke records for us. I'm, I'm just thinking about Paul. Luke records for us this this uh, this story when Jesus is being crucified. There's a thief um, on each of his sides, on his right and on his left. And one of the gentlemen on the cross, one of the robbers. I don't know anything about the gentleman on the on the cross. Is is uh, is is mocking Jesus. He's mocking Jesus up there. Um, but then the other one looks at Jesus and looks at the other guy and says, well, why are you mocking him? You should not, you should not be mocking him. What has this man done wrong? What has he done wrong? Um, and he believed in who Jesus was, right? He believed who Jesus was. And, and then he turns to Jesus and, 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 and in believing what Jesus was accomplishing at that moment and that it was sufficient for him, he asked Jesus to remember him. He asked Jesus to remember him. He says, well, here, remember me. This day, and, and Jesus says to him, "Hey man, you're gonna be in paradise with me. Like you're gonna you're gonna be in paradise with me because of because of your faith." Um, and okay, so that guy didn't get baptized, right? He didn't get baptized. Jesus promised him that he would be with him in paradise, but he didn't get baptized. He, Jesus didn't say, "Hey man, get down and get in that water." Or it's not like that. He could have done that anyways. He didn't say, "Get down and get in that water and get baptized." Otherwise, you can't be with me in paradise. That is—it's a clear portrayal that that baptism is not required for salvation. It is not contingent on uh, our salvation is not contingent on baptism. Um, if we were to say that, this is what we would be saying: we'd be claiming that Christ's work is essentially insufficient, and that we are contributing to that process. That we have taken something like, in our human activity. We have. Uh, taken um, who we are and inserted it into that process. But salvation is absolutely not contingent on human activity. Paul in Ephesians 2 writes this, and Paul two writes in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one so that no one may boast. This is not a result of works. We are not adding a work here and saying baptism is a work um, by which you must be saved. We have no grounds to boast. I Paul write that. We have no grounds to boast because we didn't work for it. We didn't do it. We didn't achieve it. It was achieved by Jesus and by Jesus alone. His work is sufficient. We rest in His work. So, Here's, here's just a like a public, public uh, uh, there's practical outworking of this. If we then are experiencing, if we know that a loved one is on their deathbed and they don't know Jesus, you don't not share Jesus with them because they don't have a way to get baptized. You don't not share Jesus you, you say, no, you're like, have you trusted Jesus Christ? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? You're just saying, man, he's got to get baptized. I don't know how he's going to do that. We absolutely share Jesus as part of the disciple-making process is baptism. And that leads us into the fourth point this morning, then, about baptism. Practically, although baptism is not required for salvation, excuse me, although baptism is not required for salvation, it is required for obedience. Like, this is an element of our obedience to Jesus Christ as Christians. As Christians, as those who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus we as a people are called to bring every aspect, every area of our life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There is not one area that we hide. There is not one area that we is not exposed to Him. He is God, He's our creator, He sees everything, He knows everything, and He has said, Everything comes under my purview. Everything comes under my Lordship. Um, and so We've, we've mentioned this just a, a little while ago, but but think with me then about Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is Jesus', again, final commission to his disciples to go and make disciples. There's actually like three commands there. We're going to want to kind of compartmentalize it, but we don't really want to either. There are three imperatives given. Your imperatives just commands, it's a language thing. So, um, one, like he says, go and... And make disciples of all nations, all types of people, everyone. Go and make disciples of everyone. And he says, and baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Spirit. That's part of the command. And then finally to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey. Teach them to adhere to all that I have commanded you. Um, and so what he's saying is go and make disciples who then have the ability to adhere to also and carry out these commands that I have given you to make disciples um, I think the that last part is lost a little bit to teach them to observe all that I commanded, especially in the way that we've constructed church for so long um, and and so like you're saying like, um, hey go and make disciples and then let them do what they want or just just no, like part of this is to um, observe all that I've commanded. You hear a lot of language where I'm like, "Well, Jesus, is my Savior." Yes, but also, is He your Lord? Are you bringing every area of your life under the, or in submission to Jesus Christ and to what He has commanded you? <clears throat> and so, as we look at baptism, that it's not required for salvation, but it is required for obedience because it's explicitly commanded to believers to participate in um, together in community. Um, he commands the disciples to observe all that he commands and he says very specifically John records Jesus saying this if you love me you obey my commands this is, a, this is, this is submission this is, this is coming out of and adhering to commands out of love we're not doing this because again because it's a laundry list or because we're obligated because we, we find just duty in it we don't, we don't begrudgingly strap on our, our, our loafers and come to church on Sunday morning because it's the thing to do What we do is we recognize that we love to do what God has commanded. We love to do what God has commanded because of the transformative work that he's performed in our lives. And so we come here because we love to be around people who love to be part of the people of God. Like that's what this is about. We love to be together. We love to carry out the commands of Scripture because of the way that God has transformed us. We if you love me, you will keep my commands. This is not if 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 you fear me. If you if you feel anger towards me, like you will keep my commands, if you feel like I'm punishing you like, you'll keep my commands. This is not what this is saying. It's saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I have given you everything. I have taken you and
1: freed you from sin, from death, from the world. And I have given you a way
0: to spend eternity with me in commune with me in perfect relationship with me and with others. is what God tells us. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. We no longer are dead in our transgressions and sins. Together with Christ, we've been made alive. We have been made alive in Jesus Christ. And so this is is part of what we're talking about this morning when it comes to baptism, that that this public portrait of this, um, this death, this burial, and this resurrection coming up out of the water is proclaiming that to our community and to the world. Okay, so those four things or what we affirm about baptism this morning. Baptism is for believers. Baptism is by immersion. Baptism is baptism not required for salvation, but it is required for obedience. Okay. So just a couple more things. We're going to start just a couple of takeaways this morning. I just want to ask you a couple of pointed questions, and then we'll be done. First of all, just consider your own obedience this morning. Consider where you are in, with this concept. And I know that we think about that. We hear that word, and we think, that sounds... So grueling. I don't want to participate in that. But here's the thing. Like if that's where your mind immediately goes, where you see your obedience and your submission, it's like we need to check our hearts. It's like there's not a day that goes by where I don't think to myself, man, I do not want to do this. I do not want to do this. That's part of being in a sinful body, like living in a, a state where sin is still a real part of my world. Like, sin is still a real part of my world, but I recognize that I am no longer enslaved to that sin. And then, and then I must recall, I must remember what God has promised to me in Jesus Christ. That's where our minds go. That's why we need each other. That's why we do community together. So that we can point each other to that truth. You're like, man, I do not want to do this. I do not want to be, I do not want to live according to what God has commanded me. I don't want to do that. But then we have to begin to recognize, we need to just slow down, and we need to bathe in the truths of the gospel, right? Remember how God sent his son to die on your behalf so that the wrath of God that is on you, that is placed on you if you're outside of Christ, can be removed. It goes to Jesus Christ. It went to Jesus Christ on the cross. It is removed from you. Remember how you were on your own. You were isolated. You had no hope in this world. You had no hope in the world at all. But remember that you you, uh, looked to God and said, I I see the good news of the gospel, that God awakened your heart and your mind to the understanding that that the only way to experience joy and peace and freedom is in Him. As you Beforehand, you are presenting. You're presenting these good works as you're I'm a good person. I do good things. I want to spend eternity with God in heaven. And I look at those things and say, like, no, those are filthy rags. Those are filthy rags. Those, those do not impress me at all. I am holy. I am totally without sin. And your sinfulness and your good works look to me as filthy rags. But God said, I am going to make a way for you. I am going to do this. I am going to make a way for you to have right standing with me. I'm going to remove your sin. I'm going to take that away from you. I'm going to remove that sin entirely from you. As far as the east is from the west, I'm going to remove it from you. Because of the work of my son, because I'm going to put up a substitute for you. And then I'm going to make you righteous. That substitute isn't just going to take away your sin, but he's going to live a perfect life, completely, totally righteous, so that that righteousness can be sent to you, given to you, granted to you, so that you might stand in my presence and and hear hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to free you by making you new, making you new, new creation to do all that I require. So here's the question coming out of that for you. Are you actively then bringing every area under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you actively bringing every area under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Considering yourself alive to God and Jesus Christ, dead to sin, dead to self. And there, there's no doubt that this, this looks, this on paper, this looks hard. Like this looks difficult. Because Jesus says very Specifically to his disciples, he says, Nobody builds a barn and doesn't first count. How many people have built a barn? No? 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 Okay, cool. All right, so how many people have built a apartment? No, nobody. Yeah, okay. uh, a lot of people in here have built an apartment. Oh, yeah, help, help us build an apartment. Yeah, well, not build it, but sort of like finished off. So, how many of you have done any type of renovation project? Like in a home? Okay, that, that's a little—that's a little bit maybe better than the building part So, which one of you looks at that item and says to yourself, like, "Which, like, I have this task." Which one of you says, um, "Hey, look at this task and how much is this going to cost me?" Don't you like the H, or here's, a, here's a better example. How much you watch HGTV at least? Like maybe you didn't do a renovation, but you watch like like Property Brothers or okay? something. you look at it and they say, "Oh, here's the cost of this renovation," and they lay it out and then they find a bunch of problems and then somehow they magically make all that money go away. But whatever. So, um, so they say. saying, like, uh, but, but they're counting the cost. They're saying, this is how much it's is going to cost. This is how much money you have. This is, th- is going to work for you. Which one of you sits down to do a renovation project and doesn't first, like, figure out how much it's going to cost you to do it? And sure, there's going to be surprises. Sure, there's things come up. But you're counting the cost of building them. That's what Jesus is saying then to his disciples. He's saying, there's a lot of difficult things here that I've given you, but which one of you is saying to yourself, look at all of these costly things that I'm requiring of you in your daily life, and look at the flip side. Look at the flip side. The flip side is spending an eternity um, spent separated from me with the wrath of God on you. Like, do, do you see the difference? Do you see that the cost is far greater to, to, than, than, to, than to give up your sin and give up yourself in this life? The the cost is far greater than to to not do that. And so he says, no one builds a barn without first counting the cost. And he says, here are the things. To love God with our whole being. To love our neighbor and pursue their own flourishing. Not just get out of their way. Not just to build a fence so we don't see them. But to pursue their own flourishing. To rejoice in the face of suffering. God has called us Time and time again in Scripture to rejoice in the face of suffering. Not to pursue our own comfort, but to say, God is transformed me into transforming me into the image of Jesus Christ. To love our enemies. Which one of us this week got up and said, these people are the people that are on my list, but I'm going to love them. Which one of you got, got, got up this week and said that? The, to steward our resources as well. Which one of you said, how can I glorify God with my money today? Which one of you got up this week? I'm going to give to the poor this week. These are the things that God is commanding us to do in Jesus Christ. But, but, um, he calls us to this radical living. And in that final commission in Matthew 28, um, we hear lots of times, we leave out that, that that phrase about teaching them to observe all that I command. But the fact of the matter is this. Discipleship requires radical obedience. Discipleship requires radical obedience and doesn't just recommend it. The good news is this. Okay, so this is the good news. Because of the required, the required radical abuse, you think to yourself, man, that sounds so weighty. But the good news is this God has given us the Spirit of Christ. If you are in Christ, God has given you the Spirit of Christ to empower you to carry out each of these commands that He has given. It's not possible to keep these commands without the indwelling Spirit of Christ. He's transforming you into the image of Christ. And even better news than that, although your sinfulness wages war against the transformative process that's happening, the forging of the new creation that's going on inside of you, even though your sinfulness wages war against this and you're incapable, you're incapable of doing what God has required of you, there is one who did it. It's Jesus Christ. That's who we look to. We look to Jesus Christ, His work, not our work. Christ has accomplished all that we cannot. He was sinless and completely obedient, and we rest in His merit and not our own. And not our own. So to bring this home then, baptism. Baptism we just got to get away from this. What does what baptism look like? What does it have to do with it's an act of obedience that's practically carried out in our world, right? So practically then, as you're thinking through this, whether you have been baptized or not, um, or you've been baptized in a different tradition, maybe you just need to keep processing this idea. It took me a long time to get through this. Um, it's okay, there's grace to work through the understanding of what baptism means for us. Um, just look at and consider the call to remember and proclaim and anticipate what God has done for us, remembering the death, the burial and the resurrection, the practical portrait of going down into going under and coming out of the water and, and then clearly proclaiming when we talk about the verbal proclamation that's required um, of God's people, clearly proclaiming that you are radically following Jesus into death, burial and resurrection, and a public acknowledging of what God has accomplished. And then, uh, which leads then to this anticipation of the coming up out of the grave and a joyful future, a glorious future uh, that we as people um, are unable, incapable of achieving on ourselves this peace-filled, joyful, uninhibited, eternal communion with God, relationship with Him the way that He intended it in the garden. So if you're feeling compelled this morning, we're going to talk about this more again totally available. If you're feeling compelled, if you're thinking to yourself, if you want to be baptized, I don't know what that looks like, come talk to us. We'd hope to do some kind of baptismal service in September or October. You know, it's it cold outside, so we'll probably do it inside. Um, but if you, if, if your heart is stirred, at least even to just talk about this a little bit more, come talk to me. Um, we'd love to, to have a conversation with you about it. So, let me pray for us, and then we'll finish up.